Good morning. I heard somebody say this week that it's, uh, it's a nice winter we're having this spring. So I'm not one to complain about the weather, but I was thinking about that, you know, and God is faithful. Just as the seasons come, uh, he is faithful in that, and he is faithful, and he will come. And just as spring will come, so will he someday, and so we look forward to that. Um, our call to worship this morning is found in Psalm 147. And it says this, Praise the Lord. How good it is to sing praises to our God. How pleasant and fitting to praise him. He heals the brokenhearted and binds up their wounds. He determines the number of the stars and calls them each by name. Great is our Lord and mighty in power. His understanding has no limit. Let's pray. Lord, we, we gather together this morning to, to sing praises to you, to praise you with all of who we are. And Lord, we also, we come with expectation that you will meet us here. We come with expectation that you will speak to us. And so, Lord, we want to open the eyes of our heart this morning to you and that we might hear you speak. And, Lord, that we might also be in the place where we are willing to be obedient to what you have for us this morning, to be obedient to what you call us to as your people, both individually and as the body of Christ. And so we thank you for this opportunity, and we give you all the praise and glory in Jesus' name. Amen. Our scripture reading is found in Isaiah 55. If you have your Bibles with you, you can turn there. Isaiah 55, and we'll read the first seven verses. Isaiah 55. Come. All you who are thirsty, come to the waters. You who have no money, come buy and eat. Come buy wine and milk without money and without cost. Why spend money on what is not bread and your labor on what does not satisfy? Listen, listen to me and eat what is good and your soul will delight in the richest of fare. Give ear and come to me, hear me that your soul may live. I will make an everlasting covenant with you my faithful love promised to David. See, I have made him a witness to the peoples, a leader and commander of the peoples. Surely you will not summon, or sorry, surely you will summon nations you know not, and nations that do not know you will hasten to you because of the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, for he has endowed you with splendor. Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call on him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake his way, and the evil man his thoughts. Let him turn to the Lord, and he will have mercy on him. And to our God, for he will freely pardon. Please turn to Luke chapter 9 in your Bibles. A very familiar story. But I think I'm going to take a left turn at the end of it.
Luke chapter 9. This is the story of the feeding of the 5,000, and in Luke, that story begins at verse 10 in chapter 9. Jesus had just sent the 12 disciples out on a ministry trip, and they come back absolutely enthusiastic and raving. Verse 10, when the apostles returned, they reported to Jesus what they had done, and then he took them with him, and they withdrew them by themselves to a town called Bethsaida. And if you're looking at a map of, of the land of Israel, you'll see the Sea of Galilee, and Bethsaida would probably, if you're looking at the Sea of Galilee, be somewhere around the one o'clock range, one or two o'clock on, on uh, the Sea of Galilee. He took them, withdrew by themselves to a town called Bethsaida, just outside of it. In fact, in other Gospels, it's called the wilderness. But the crowds learned about it and followed him. I said to you, please don't call me when I'm gone on retreat, but please feel free. Uh, you know, like, like if, the, if the bathroom's out of toilet paper, call somebody else. But, but if you have a legitimate need, please feel free to call. Because Jesus said here too, uh, the crowds learned about it and followed him. And he welcomed them and spoke to them about the kingdom of God and healed those who needed healing. Late in the afternoon, the twelve came to him and said, send the crowd away so that they can go to the surrounding villages and countryside and find food and lodging because we are in a remote place here. He replied, you give them something to eat. They answered, we have only five loaves of bread and two fish unless we go and buy food for all this crowd. About 5,000 men were there. But he said to his disciples, have them sit down in groups of about 50 each. The disciples did so, and everybody sat down. Taking the five loaves and the two fish and looking up to heaven, he gave thanks and broke them. Then he gave them to the disciples to set before the people. They ate and were satisfied. And the disciples picked up 12 baskets full of broken pieces that were left over. Let me ask you this morning, what does it take for you to be happy? What does it take? Where do you go to find contentment? What does it take? Is it food or drink or clothes or possessions or the right people in your life, whether it's a boyfriend or a girlfriend or a spouse or friends or children or the right kind of parents? Is it the right job? Would the right job bring you happiness and contentment? Would no job bring you happiness and contentment? I don't know. Is it money? Is it power? Is it parties? Is it self-determination, the right to run your own life? Would, it be, would you be content if you had no responsibility whatsoever? Or would you want a bunch of responsibility so you could exercise power? Does it take toys? Does it take sex? What does it take to make you happy or content? Let me ask you a question. When you eat, how long are you satisfied? Nobody knows. When you eat, how long are you satisfied? For how long? How long does that take? A couple of hours, yeah. Unless you're a teenage boy, it's about 20 minutes, I think. But 
When you get that new car, how long are you thrilled? <laughs> Not very long. When you get that new relationship, how long does the honeymoon last? When you get that new job, how long before you run into problems? When you take that trip, how long does that thrill last? Think about this. Okay, we're whining about the weather, and I'm there with you, okay? It's, it's the seventh month that we've had snow now. But think about this. How many of you would want to live in Florida permanently? There's my wife. All right, go for it. But think about it. If you lived in Florida permanently, we can't do much outside because it's, it's too cold. They can't do a whole lot outside starting this time of year because it's way too hot. You know, we, we talked... Um, a number of years ago, we were in Tennessee. Robin, Rob Hopp and I were in Tennessee for a music camp, and the people there were asking us about the Great White North. Like, how much money do you spend on, on heat in the wintertime? And so we told them, and they said, well, we spend the same amount on air conditioning here. You know, really? Okay, so, um, you know, and, and you want, hun, you, you love humidity, right? So you think about that, because we're going to have lots of that in Florida. See, uh, think about this. If you really had to live in Florida 12 months out of the year, would you never be unhappy again? No. See, it's not circumstances that determine our contentment. No matter what you pursue, no matter what you get, you will never get enough, and you can spend your life pursuing contentment, but if you don't look in the right place, you will never find it. And let me postulate something for you. Let me propose something to you that only Jesus offers true sufficiency. Only Jesus offers us true sufficiency. Let's take a look at the story. People were looking for something. Jesus and his disciples needed a retreat, and they went to a quiet place, and the crowds found out about it and followed. And in John 6, where we read this story, we read, because they saw the miraculous signs he had performed on the sick. And if you look at verse 11 in the story we just read here, we read, the crowds learned about it and followed him. He welcomed them and spoke to them about the kingdom of God, and he healed those who needed healing. People were looking for something, and so they were coming after Jesus. They needed something from him. But there's a problem. Now, ladies, you'll understand this. There's 5,000 men there and not a single, oh, pardon me, only one of them brought lunch, and that was a little boy. 5,000 men. Nobody brought lunch. So, time goes on. Everybody's getting hungry. How long does it take? A couple of hours. They need to eat. Think about it. 5,000 guys. Nobody brings it. What did you think was going to happen? Come on, guys. You know about this. So, uh, the administrative solution. One of the disciples has the gift of administration. Uh, the 12 came to him and said, send them away. Like, get, get them out of here so they can look after themselves. And Jesus said to them, well, you feed them. 
And so the disciples said, uh, you know, only one of the kids brought lunch and it's five loaves and two fish and it's going to take eight months' wages and nobody has that kind of money. And, you know, like, like let's do takeout, Jesus said. <laughs> no. Think about it. 5,000 men, eight days' wages. They said 200 denarii. Denarius was a day's wages. Think about this. If a day's wages in today's economy is 100 bucks, which isn't a whole lot of money, if today's, in today's economy that's 100 bucks for a day's work, you need 200 days' work, how many dollars is it going to take to feed 5,000 men? Well, you can do the math. I saw a phone. I heard a phone ding before. How? 20,000. $20,000. That's only four bucks a lunch. That's cheap, right? If you have something catered. $20,000 to feed 5,000 men. And then other gospels tell us there were women and children there as well. Well, how's that going to happen? Who's, who's got $20,000 in pocket change? I remember one old gentleman in town here whose, whose funeral I did, but he was in the habit of carrying at least $10,000 cash with him at all times, just in case you had to buy a tractor. So, um, well, you never know. You might, you know, you might... <laughs> That was his philosophy. You never know when you might want to buy a tractor or, or something. So, so Jesus, <laughs> Jesus is messing with them. And then verse 14 says, But then he said to his disciples, Have them sit down in groups of about 50 each. This was no surprise to him. The disciples did so. Everybody sat down, taking the five loaves and the two fish and looking up to heaven. He gave thanks and broke them. He gave them to the disciples to set before the people. They all ate and were satisfied. And the disciples picked up 12 basketfuls of broken pieces that were left over. Why 12 basketfuls? One for each disciple. Yeah, Jesus is driving the point home. I'm going to be sufficient. So, Jesus fed the 5,000 people, picked up 12 baskets full of leftover pieces, and they all went home and lived happily ever after. Right? No. Why? Two hours, you're hungry again, right? Yeah, you know, need, need well, if you're Mennonite, you've got to have night lunch after that. But think about it. Why did people chase after Jesus in the first century? Miracles. Because he could give them something that they wanted. Something that they couldn't get. And for the most part, it was miracles. They could, he could give them comfort and freedom. Yeah, there was forgiveness and acceptance and purpose, but the primary reason was miracles and healing. In fact, the scripture says the people came after him because of the miracles that he had done in the past and he healed those who needed healing. But what is it that people want today? Same things, right? We want comfort and healing 
and freedom and self-worth and significance and love and acceptance and all those things, and we have so many avenues now to get what we think we need, our needs are legitimate. That's true. That's the way God made us, but we look for all kinds of ways to meet those needs outside of God. Now, if you have your Bibles, let's take a left turn. Actually, it's a right turn because you're going to turn to the right, to, to the Gospel of John. And we're going to go to chapter 6 there, and um, we're going to look a little bit at the rest of the story. Now, that evening, there's, there's more to the story. Jesus walked on water. Uh, people were, were, went looking for Jesus the next day. Couldn't understand where he'd gone. Anyway, they found him. Verse 25, John chapter 6. Let's start in verse 24. Once the crowd realized that Jesus nor his disciples were there, they got into the boat and went to Capernaum in search of Jesus. Now, if Bethsaida is on the, on the 1 or 2 o'clock position on the Sea of Galilee, Capernaum is about the 10.30 position or 10 or 11, somewhere in that neighborhood over there. So they had crossed over the lake. Verse 25, when they found him on the other side of the lake, they asked him, Rabbi, when did you get here? Jesus answered, I tell you the truth, or amen, or verily, verily, I tell you the truth, you are looking for me not because, because you saw miraculous signs, but because you ate the loaves and you had your fill. Why did Jesus say people were chasing him? Because he gave them a full belly, right? They were satisfied. They ate and they were satisfied. They thought, man, if we could get free food for the rest of our lives, we've got it made. You see, free food gives us immediate gratifications. It's like going on a drunk or getting high. It tasted good and it felt good. Jesus said, you're following me not because of the miracles. That's why, yeah, you came initially because of that, but then you ate and you were satisfied. You, now you're chasing me because I filled your bellies. But look at what, what Jesus goes on to say. Verse 27, do not work for food that spoils, but for food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you. On him, God the Father has placed his seal of approval. What's Jesus saying? If I put this into my own words, I come up with this. Jesus is saying, get your head out of this world. Does that make sense? Jesus is saying, get your head out of this world. Jesus said, don't work for food that spoils but for food that endures to eternal life. Get your head out of this world and start thinking about eternity. Don't just think about what you can put in your belly. Don't just think about immediate gratification. Don't just think about physical things. Think about spiritual stuff. And then Jesus goes on. And they get it in, in a sense, they get it. Verse 34, sir, they said, from now on, give us this bread. Then Jesus declared, I am the bread of life. What does that mean? 
What does that mean? I am the bread of life. Jesus explains it. He says, he who comes to me will never go hungry, and he who believes in me will never be thirsty. What's he talking about? Regular food? I had breakfast this morning. After church here, about 1 o'clock, I'm going to go home and eat. And I know that many of you ladies are going to eat very lightly because you want to save your appetites for the banquet here tonight, right? Or the potluck or whatever it is. I don't think Jesus is talking about food here. Jesus said, I am the bread of life. He who comes to me will never go hungry, and he who believes in me will never be thirsty. What's Jesus saying? Jesus saying, I am the only one who offers true sufficiency. When you go out into this world and you're looking for physical things that satisfy, whether they be food or drink or health or whatever else, all of those things are temporary and they're not going to last. But I'm offering you something that you cannot get any other way. I am the bread of life. He who comes to me will never go hungry, and he who believes in me will never be thirsty. And if you trust in Jesus, if you commit your life to Jesus Christ, you will find a sufficiency in him that you cannot find anywhere else. I meet all kinds of people, including those who profess to be Christians, who are chasing something in life that they think will make them happy. If I only get this, then I will be happy. If I get healthy, if I get a different spouse, if I get a new vehicle, if I get a new motorcycle, if I get a new car, if I get a new house, if I get this, if I get that, if I get this, if I finally get that, then I will be happy and content. And here's the reality. And you can write my initials behind this one. I've told this to a number of people. I believe it to be true. I have found it to be true in my life. But here it is. You will never, ever, ever experience true contentment until you learn to submit to Jesus Christ and everything that he has for you. You will never, ever, ever find true contentment until you learn to submit to Jesus Christ and whatever he has planned for you. For many years, I didn't believe that. I pursued it, pursued other things. My philosophy was always, if I ever submit to Jesus Christ, he's going to make me do something I don't, want to be, I don't want to do, and I will be miserable for the rest of my life. But you will never, ever find true contentment 
until you learn to submit to Jesus Christ and whatever he has planned for your life. Now, I'm not just saying that because I'm old. I'm not just saying that because I'm out of touch with reality. And some of you here probably don't believe me and will try to prove me wrong. But I don't think this is just my own idea. I think this is what Jesus is saying. Jesus said, I am the bread of life. He who comes to me will never go hungry, and he who believes in me will never get thirsty. When you look for satisfaction in all the wrong places and in all the wrong ways, you will always chase it, but you will never find it. Verse 41. At this the Jews began to grumble about him because he said, I am the bread that came down from heaven. They didn't like what Jesus said. And they said, isn't this Jesus, the son of Joseph, whose father and mother we know? How can he now say, I came down from heaven? And stop grumbling among yourselves, Jesus answered. And we whine and moan and bellyache sometimes about the lives that we live, about things not going our way. And if things would only be different, then I would be happy. You will never find contentment until you learn to submit to Jesus because only Jesus has the sufficiency. What's Jesus telling us? Jesus said, stop chasing illusions. Only Jesus offers true and lasting contentment. And I need to keep reminding myself of that because I find myself regularly stuck, solidly stuck in this world and looking at things and circumstances to make me happy. Jesus said, find sufficiency in the bread of life, not in the bread that fills your bellies. In other words, get your heads out of this world and into eternity. Now, it doesn't mean we can't enjoy what's in this world. That's the problem the Pharisees had. They couldn't enjoy anything because they thought it was wrong. And 1 Timothy tells us that God richly gives us all things for our enjoyment. It's not wrong to enjoy that which God has given us, but that is not your source of satisfaction and contentment. Jesus is talking to the Pharisees. Read with me from verse 53 on for a little bit. Jesus said to them, I tell you the truth, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Now we're going to have communion in a few minutes. I don't think Jesus is talking about communion. He's talking about what communion represents. He's not talking about communion. I tell you the truth, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up at the last day, for my flesh is real food, and my blood is real drink. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood remains in me, and I in him, just as the living Father sent me, and I live because of the Father, so the one who feeds on me will live because of me. You want life? Feed on Jesus. 
You want death? Feed on this world. Jesus said, this is the bread that came down from heaven. Your forefathers ate manna and died, but he who feeds on this bread will live forever. Jesus said, I am the bread of life. I will satisfy you. He who finds me will never go hungry and will never go thirsty. I don't offer you physical satisfaction. Get your head out of this world. Start thinking about that which is eternal rather than that which is temporal. Because only Jesus offers true sufficiency. We're going to partake of communion here. And those of you who are serving communion, if you would come and join me at the front at this time, that'd be great. You know, communion is not just doing something religious. It doesn't earn us points with God, but communion is an expression of faith. God asks us to develop a philosophy of life, a a totally different viewpoint. To eat his flesh and to drink his blood is to say that Jesus is sufficient for me and I will follow him. Lots of us like to partake of communion and like to have faith in Jesus because it gives us an out. It gives us, you know, we, we like this salvation part. But you know what? Believing is, is, is not just an intellectual assent to something. Believing is a way of life. Jesus said, I am the bread of life. He who comes to me will never go hungry, and he who believes in me will never be thirsty. And what Jesus is asking of you and me to commit ourselves to him and to say, Lord, give us this bread. Give us this, this satisfaction that only comes from you. Lord, forgive me for chasing it, for trying to find it in all the wrong places. And Lord, teach me. Teach me the meaning. Teach me the secret of what it means to be content with whatever comes my way. Help me to get my head out of this world and to start thinking about eternity, about eternal values, about, you know, the, this world is not my home. And it's not a matter of getting my belly filled or feeling good, or any of the rest of those things. It's a matter of following Jesus and say, Lord, whatever you have for me is going to be good, and I will learn to be content with that. Let's take a few moments and just bow our heads, just a few moments of silence to think about some of these things and talk to God a little bit, and then we'll serve the communion elements. Father, it was a week ago that we celebrated Easter, the resurrection of our Lord Jesus. Thank you for that powerful declaration of the sufficiency of his sacrifice. Lord, he gave everything he had in order to redeem us. How can we offer you anything less than the totality of our beings? Lord, we acknowledge that Jesus is the bread of life, and thank you for the bread that represents his body. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.
Bible says that on the night Jesus was betrayed, he took bread. When he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Jesus said, I am the bread of life. He who believes in me will never go hungry. Or he who eats this bread will never go hungry, will never go thirsty. The bread of life, not just a morsel, not just physical bread, but the reality of life. Our Lord Jesus, let's partake and thank him. Father, your word says that without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sins. The life is in the blood. Jesus Christ gave his life for us so that we would never hunger or thirst again, not physically, but spiritually in the, in the depths and the core of our beings. Lord, help us to get our head out of this world and into eternity. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for giving your blood on our behalf. Amen. Jesus said, I tell you the truth. Unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. I'm talking about communion. I'm talking about faith in Jesus. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life. And I will raise him up at the last day, for my flesh is real food and my blood is real drink. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood remains in me and I in him. Just as the living Father sent me and I live because of the Father, so the one who feeds on me will live because of me. This is the bread that came down from heaven. Your forefathers ate manna and died, but he who feeds on this bread will live forever. The Bible says that after that last supper, Jesus took the cup. Then he said these words, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. And the apostle Paul declares for whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Our faith is in his death so that we might have life. Let's partake and thank him. Father, thank you so much that all our needs are met in our relationship with Jesus and whatever he chooses to provide. Lord, help us to wrap our heads around that and help us to wrap our lives around that, that Jesus is the bread of life, that he who believes in him will never go hungry and will never thirst again. Lord, help us to, help us to put that into practice, Lord, not just leave it here and, and walk out of this building and have it bounce off us this morning. Now may the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with us all. Amen.